Hello, mate. How are we doing? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Um, getting used to this this online interaction, certainly with you as well. Um, yeah, long day, but I'm good. It's good good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you too, buddy. What time is it where you are? It's a great question. Uh, 8.30. Okay. Night. Not too bad. Not too bad. Not bad as when we were doing the level one. <laughs> no. And you guys are 11 hours behind, I think? Yeah, so it's so 9.30 here. Nice. So ready for the day. Yeah, definitely. Um, first, thank you so much for coming on board. Um, but I'm so excited for this. Um, I love working with you on the FIH Level 1 the other week. And I think you named it in terms of us being like kindred spirits and how we got on and stuff. So I am stoked to have you here. Um, so for those that don't know, who are you? What have you done? What are you doing now? Yeah, you, you did prep me with this, and it's always it's the worst question to ask. I, I think uh, the way I'll answer it, and, and you'll probably want more. But I, so I'm a, I'm a country boy. I was brought up in a dairy farm um, in a little place called Ferguson Valley, uh, in two hours south of Perth, Western Australia. So obviously I'm an Australian currently in New Zealand. A bit of a gypsy, but that's sort of my upbringing. So that was my childhood, which included lots of sport and so forth. Um, a great, great childhood. And I guess since then, if you talk about the hockey stuff, I've I've had roles over the last probably 20 years. I'm getting old, so timelines get a bit blurry. But I've been a, been a development officer, worked in a number of countries, England, New Zealand, Australia. I've been an institute coach across Australia and a number of states. Uh, I was a technical director for Auckland Hockey, been a high-performance manager for Hockey WA. Um, worked in a couple of national programs, including assistant coach of the Hockey Roos, uh, and so, yeah, I've got a pretty diverse background in and lots of great opportunities and experiences that I've had in, in hockey. So I feel pretty full, I suppose. Um, I'm not that old, even though I feel old, I suppose, in terms of all the things that I've been lucky enough to be involved in. I, I often say that I've been fortunate enough to have almost two lifetimes of coaching wrapped up already, which is which is sort of great because, you know, so many stories and so many great experiences uh, that I've been lucky enough to have. Um and it's still a sprightly young but feeling old age. <laughs> Mate, you're definitely not old, but some serious experience there. Like, how did you get into coaching then? Because obviously, with all of that stuff, which you said that you've kind of done and been through, like, how, how did you get into it? Yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting. When I was a kid, so my, my father was a like a coach in AFL, so Australian Football League, and he coached all of our sporting teams. I I have uh, three younger brothers, so that's you know that goes to the territory when you've got four boys, I suppose. But he he was a bit of a local legend as a footballer and then as a coach, and we used to just follow him around everywhere. We'd be at training, we'd be in the change rooms at halftime of games, we'd be at the pub on Sunday night. So we're sort of immersed in that world, watching him be a leader, I suppose, with with us and our friends and teams, but also just in the community and it wasn't just like a football coaching thing or other sports he he was a real leader in that sort of regional community area um like a really loved guy that did a lot of stuff for people you know we'd, we'd often have people uh, just living in our house when we were boys uh, people that he'd found on the streets tried to get jobs for it was connected to football they could play football but he would often just have people in a house that he was trying to sort out and, and help them get their lives back on track and so forth so that was my upbringing with him. He's a pretty special guy. Um, and then, you know, as I sort of went through my playing career in different sports and then sort of hockey became the thing that I was most focused on, 
I remember I was playing for a club called Old Aquinians. I was only 15 at the time, and I I was in the one squad, which I think was a bit of a, um, you know, I was about one of the only juniors, so they'd just been nice to me and trying to have some kids around. <laughs> but every now and then, I'd I'd play ones most weekends as well as twos, and I would uh, I'd warm up the keeper, and then if we were winning, I'd play five minutes at the end and stuff. But I was playing with guys like Jay Stacey and Nigel Patmore and these sort of guys. And Nigel Patmore is a great Australian player. He was the coach. He was a really hard, great, great coach, great guy, but hard as nails. But I remember the point of the story. I used to go home and I'd write the drills that we would do and the things that Nigel had talked about. And I guess I thought at the time that I was doing it because I wanted to become a better player. But I think if you, if I look at my upbringing and who my father was and the sort of life that we lived, and then I think about the things I was doing when I was playing. Uh, I think I was almost sort of I was just in the perfect space where I was born and bred to sort of get into coaching, if you like. Um, and then, but I didn't really do much coaching early on. I coached my brother's team when I was a teenager, like his primary school team. And I ended up in Darwin trying to play AHL for the Territory Stingers. Um, Darwin, if people don't know, it's like all the Northern Territories, I think it was at the time, this will be an old stat, but it's like 0.02% of the hockey population in Australia, and yet they compete on the national stage as one of the eight state and territories. So a big ask for that area, but a, a great place for opportunity if you want to, you know, if you want to get a game and you want to um, get exposed to it. And I ended up coaching the club under 16 team there. I just was basically told to do it, I think. <laughs> I hadn't really done any coaching. And I had um, got so some names, Joel Carroll, ex-Kookaburra, Desmond Abbott, very special ex-Kookaburra, and a, a range of boys as well that ended up playing national juniors for um, Australia. So it was a really special group. And so we had a lot of fun just mucking around and doing all sorts of crazy things. And from that, uh, I, I became the development officer and I ended up coaching the NT under-18 team. And we, we actually won the national championship, which is unheard of at the time. And just based on these guys, really special talents, just in one cluster together at the time. And that was, you know, that was back page, front page news, big deal. And that was all really exciting. And then pretty quickly, the institute coach at the time left. And it was seen at the, I think, might have been one or two, but they were worried that people were coming to Darwin to do that job as part of the, the National Training Centre system as a stepping stone to get a a bigger state job and somehow I got in the conversation that they wanted a local and it was me so I got interviewed and very quickly in a short pace of a few years I was um, uh, Institute of Sport head coach um, and really no idea what I was doing really raw had a feel for something maybe I don't know and then I was then I was sort of put through this great mentorship by guys like Mark Hager and David Bell and um, a whole range of people who I'd go on tours with Australian A-teams and they just pretty much put their arm around me and, and taught me their trade and what they believed in. And it's just on this amazing journey of learning how to coach. Um, and, yeah, that's sort of how, I mean, my life led to it, but that's how quickly it went, professional coach. That's mad. And it's funny, like, we talk about players being in the right environment and the right opportunity for them to become great players it sounds like you had the perfect opportunity to to grow with like I say with your father with the way you kind of took on the information it, it sounds like you were just meant to be a coach and that was and that was that basically and you was 
and that's what you were kind of born to do more than anything else? I certainly had the upbringing for it. You know, I had all the all the learnings and the, and the things in front of me to process and, and so forth. And yeah, but there's no doubt, you know, the timing and fortune and luck, you know, getting that team uh, with all of these future, you know, Hall of, Star, Hall of Fame type kids from that area and really not knowing what I was doing. And then because they were good and they were saying it was great, I get this other job and I'm in development and, and we win and probably would have won anyway. Um, I felt like I did a good job, but you know, who knows? And all of a sudden someone leaves and, you, you have a career or an opportunity to have a career, I guess. So if people say that luck is not involved in the, you know, the sliding doors of our lives, I think um, miss miss things. There's no doubt you've got to be prepared for opportunities because you know, I, if I didn't have that upbringing and have sort of a feel about what I believed in and what I saw, I probably wouldn't have been able to be competent enough to at least wing it for a while until <laughs> I saw it. But yeah, I, I was very fortunate, mate. Very fortunate. Sounds really similar to um, the kind of the, a little bit like the story with Andrew Wilson, um, who's the Spanish assistant coach. He kind of chucked himself in, uh, and he said it's kind of luck, but at the same time, you got to put the grind and you got to give yourself the opportunity to have that luck. And I think that that makes a big difference. Um, yeah. So going on. Uh, reason i want to talk to you and we kind of touched on this but we never really got into it when we were chatting uh with the with the course and it it, it kind of stuck with me and i was like i need to talk to you about this um and you were talking about kind of match day and impact coaches can have and kind of that side of things so i kind of wanted to open up with that and kind of what would you say the the biggest impact a coach can have on match day and then we'll kind of dig deeper and we'll see where this rabbit hole is going to go but i kind of wanted to start with that there's a few i think and probably what i'll start with is i you know through that background when i first started coaching it was a lot of you know inspirational speeches and um intensity and yelling and, and trying to you know old school take people with me and be strong and all those sort of things and I must have been okay at it and made a bit of an art. That was sort of me as an early coach, you know, inspirational speeches and selling a vision and getting buy-in and, and sort of being good at that stuff. Um, but as the, I think as the pressure and the ambition grows, when all of a sudden you realise the pot of gold that maybe you've been handed to uh, and, you know, ego and all the stuff that comes in with, you know, losing your way with how you got there and what it's actually all about, I, I was still that but you know i i remember smashing walkie talkies and breaking whiteboards and and bits and pieces like that and still being successful i had an unbelievable run in the early parts of my coaching probably just with the right team who knows but yeah i i i got to a point with that where that i had to sort of reflect on that and i think then you know as i said i've, I've been lucky enough to have two lifetimes of coaching Lots, you know, I've coached in the AHL and the NA, New Zealand NHL over 12 times. And I said the other day, I think I've coached like 50 junior, over 50 junior national titles, which it might not quite be that. But some years I was coaching two or three teams because of the natures of the jobs I had and the places I was at. So, um, you know, what that does is it builds a lot of opportunities to to fail and to reflect and, and so forth. So that was my starting point and which worked and then as you go along the journey you learn more about 
you know, how people learn, how to build cultures, uh, how, how important it is in terms of having teams that are adaptable and resilient and that can problem solve and all the different bits and pieces that designing an environment allows them to be able to do in the moment and take ownership for. And then also you look at all this, you know, you're in the in the system for so long and you see um, kids stop playing after they think they can't be, play for their country or when they get to a certain age when it gets too hard. And so the retention stuff and, and then you start going out of the journey with your own mental health. And, and so you're looking at all these different things which are about a bigger picture around what sport's about. And then with all that success and failure and research and access to people like yourself, you, you start to sort of get a feel for the the fact that you can have your cake and eat it. Like you can be successful, yeah. but you don't have to have this short-termism um, sort of blood and guts approach, the, you know, the, the fear approach and, and so forth. There is a better way. And I'm not maybe you can't get there until you've had all that because we want to be successful and you know, when you've got, when you're trying to control everything really tightly and you are controlling as much as you can, it, it does work to a degree, some, but it's not sustainable and it's not healthy. So through all, through all of that, mate, I'm not sure I'm piecing that together well for you. <laughs> and it's lots of bits and pieces in, in between about research and stuff that I was involved in and so forth, because that keeps forming you, right? Your, your mm. views and your knowledge. The, but the place I'm at to now, which I think is, I'm pretty confident on, in terms of however long I keep coaching, is that I, I go into game day and I call it play acting. So I, I've got to a point where I have no emotional connection to what's happening in the game. And I'm pretty good at it to the point where sometimes I need to go, like you're actually part of this, you need to get get something, get a bit of fizz in you because I'm too... But I call it play acting because I think when you emotionally ride every bump and every play, it you, know, you start talking about... Um, neurobiology and what's happening in your brain can we all the different things you just you can't have a lens that allows you to be composed or to see things clearly and so you're gonna you're gonna either make poor decisions or you're gonna behave poorly like i think it's just a given if you're in that space it's i think it's it's really hard to manage uh, even if you're really s- strong with your discipline and you're not that type of person like it just it just glitches or you're not coaching as well as you can or seeing the things that you need to see so I go into games with no emotional investment or thought about the outcome. Now, I, I still like winning and I have a responsibility to try and help the team I'm coaching do that. But my feeling is when I, when I have that position of being outside of that, that I can then be really attuned to what the group needs and what I need to look at and how I need to behave. And sometimes that might be that I'm really demanding and I'm up and about and got energy and I'm coaching in a different way because we're flat or for whatever reason but it can also mean that i just need to stay out of their way and you know i I tell this story about i think think it was the first round before lockdown came down where i was in in the umpires thing um they weren't that happy about it in the end they thought it was funny and they let me get away with it but they're feeding sushi Um, (laughs) we design our players know what we're doing we're playing okay quarter time we're just talking about don't get frustrated. The intent's good. We're trying to make it work. Just keep persevering. Now I just go back and stay out of their way, you know. And if they ask for feedback, I'm there and we're talking. But I, I think the emotional connection is a real problem for how coaches carry themselves. Yeah. A real problem. And then I think this want, 
feeling that you have to be contributing and the group's relying on you is a real problem. So if you design your program properly and you're developing athletes that are empowered and really clear on how we want to, and how we want to, how we want to deal with certain things, and that's always a moving piece, right? But if you design your program like that, then and and they know how you operate, you you've got to trust them to do that, and you've got to allow them the experience to do it as well, instead of intervening all the time and telling them and you know. And it's even the feedback piece, coaches that think they have to tell someone something every time they come on and off the bench, you know. And we we train to athletes to want that. Come and talk to me. You need feedback, and it's like. Is it going to have a difference, really? Is it just going to add stress or confusion? And and do we have any value by giving? And it's not that we shouldn't give feedback or support them or, you know, when they go to a back three, am I sinking in there? Yep, yep, that's clear, mate, that sort of stuff. But I think this just want to have an impact, I think, is a real problem. So my belief is coaches, coaches do have a massive impact on game bay, mainly in terms of how they carry themselves because that ripples through the group. Um, it has a massive effect on how the, how the group feels, um, like a massive effect. But then the other one is knowing when you need to be intervening or supporting or interacting, because I don't think it's as much as is required or what we think it is. We certainly don't need to go into the game being emotionally connected, and we certainly don't need to go into the game thinking that they need us every second of the day and we constantly have to be having input. I think that's really I think that whole piece around getting the culture right and having that consistency is something which I'm I really believe in and I've got wrong you know I'm not going to sit here and say I've been perfect and I've got it right I'm human and I've definitely messed it up a few times but for me having reflected over this time in lockdown I think it's like you say that connection with the way I am in training has to then align with the way I'm on game day and even down to uh, expectation of language. So if we're saying we want this, we want to create a creative, free, experimental style of play and then you get to game day and you're like regiment, like you've got to be in line, they try and do something and you go at them or that's not good enough or whatever, then actually there's a huge disconnect there. And then you have that inconsistency because expectations aren't meeting reality so yeah. like you're saying if if you get it right and you have that consistency between the way you are in training and the way you are in game day then that's your culture started already like you're already in good shape yeah and also just you know you've got to design your, your training week with consistency and not just put out fires every week but it's like this is what we're learning and this is the evolution or this is how we're going to progress with that and hold your nerve with a, a longer term sort of, not organic, but a, a journey that is sort of just building on itself so that they, they're they empowered, they know how we play, what they do in certain situations. They know that, uh, as I said to you in the thing, they're, they're Navy SEALs, they're not Rangers. And um, yeah. you know, you're here for them and you, you may intervene and you may just trust them or whatever, but that's the culture. And then they, you know, you, when you set that and they understand it, you, you get such amazing stuff out of players that they're capable of, and, and the growth and how they flourish when they when they go, okay, we're trusted and we know what we're trying to do together, and we all know we're on this page or at least this story that we're writing together. Um, they just get on with it. 
you know, isn't that the point of the whole thing with coaching? That you, you're trying to do stuff so they can just go and play? Yeah, I think people get, people forget that. Uh, and I think the whole point of us as a coach, in, and I think we share this view, is we're, we're enablers, we're supporters in somebody else's journey. Like, yes, we have our own journey, which we're going on. But when we're on a pitch and we're with that group of people, it's how can we support them to to love and grow as as human beings, and then the hockey will come as well. But it's social first, more than anything else. Yeah, the social the social one's interesting. Um, one of the one of the things just comes to mind that with I'm coaching the Somerville uh, Premier League women in in Auckland, which is a really sort of a story proud old club really really great club and i sort of came in and back into new zealand around january february and i know a lot of these this group because i've coached them in the nhl about seven eight years ago so there's there's a bit of a connection beforehand but a lot of us knew and that environment's new and they we they're really social and casual before training and games and we we were sort of taking half those it was mainly training at this point just to get going and to be just switched on with what we're trying to do. And I and I didn't push it because I, I sort of like to just see, take your time and see how pan, things pan out with this. I'm not a, this is what I believe in. This is my style coach. I think you've got to figure out your group and figure out how, how to harness who they are. Um, and, you know, I, I certainly said to them, we need to be better and maybe we're too casual. We're having that conversation, but... I sort of, after reading different bits and pieces and being involved with different things, I, it sort of it sort of twigged on me that this is actually the strength of this group and it's why it's so special because of that social connection. And this time and what they're doing is actually, it's essentially the core of who they are and it's really important. And so to try and take that away from them with some sort of sterile, disciplined approach of get here, do this so that we can start um, a bit more switched on was just not going to was it was going to kill the soul of the team in a way I think and it would certainly wouldn't have worked in terms of my relationship with them and we've sort of chopped and changed it's been a bit hard because we started and then had lockdown and then we started again and we tried to you know so we haven't had a consistent this is how we we train to a degree but one of the things we started doing and it's certainly on our radar as part of our way of sorting that out is that when we get there we we start with a game and we play either a half-court game or whatever it is, and we have consequences for it. You know, it could be could be running, could be push-ups. Uh, earlier in the year, they bought these um, horrible orange headbands, and the group that lost the game, uh, they, they wore the rest of the training, you know. So there's just... And then what happens is it's a bit of fun and it's a competition, and that brings out all of those things for them. Get there, and they're social, and they're connecting, and, you know, they're building this relationship and this cohesion and synergy as a group and then they they start because there's something up for grabs and then we go and train and we don't lose half an hour every session that's really cool i like the idea with the horrible orange headbands i'll see if i can dig something out for this season for the lads (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what's interesting that only lasted a few weeks we sort of did that for about a month just before lockdown but they kept going missing and they blame me for being unorganized and so forth but i think they were hiding them (laughs) Just on the way out, just chuck it in the bin. <laughs> oh, we don't have enough headbands for today. Sorry, guys. And, and they're like, yeah, we know because yeah. we're taking them. <laughs> um, so do you vary your 
approach um, when you're kind of building up to a game and, and the way you are between kind of league tournament where it's like once a week or maybe two games a weekend or whatever to like your tournament stuff do you vary how you are with like on game day obviously the way you are kind of around you get, you'll have different meeting times and everything else so obviously that will be different but do you vary yeah. like actually kind of the way you are at half time your pre-match like how does that then look between league and tournaments yeah as you say there's obvious constraints around tournaments where you've got back-to-back games so you've got time constraints and you've got things you have to do so in many ways your processes they're hard to get around because there's things you've got to do you've got to have some sort of game preparation whatever that looks like and including you know how we're going to play who's lining up that information i don't like the word game brief but you, you know the the elements of what a game brief normally is for people and then you've sort of got the review process whatever again that can for me can take lots of different forms but you've got those two things and, and the prepping and then the game and then the cool down recovery and so there's bits that you sort of can't get around and it happens really quickly when you've got games on top of each other and then you've also got to fit in rest when you're having to get a rest day so I think it's hard in a tournament. I think you sort of just, you'll have your style and the way you think things should be done, but the constraints of the timelines means that it's pretty much set for you to a degree. It's just how you do those different things. You just got to fit them in. Um, in terms of the sort of week to week competition stuff, I, I really like to just design our week and our year in a way where we're training in a manner that keeps updating and clarifying and building on how we want to play. So there's there's no sort of reaching out here or not. Every now and then there might be a thing like tonight we did live corners, for example, for an hour and mixed different rotations and stuff just because we've been time pressured to get ready for the, this restart to the season. But those things for me are, um, are hopefully pretty rare. Like I, I just want to have a long-term plan that we're constantly updating and building on and adapting with in terms of how we train from week to week. So that stuff doesn't change. Like I, I don't, we're not running a session to prepare for this group or so forth. And then with the with the game prep type information, I, I really, I'm really unsure, and I've had this sort of torment for years around sitting in change rooms. A half an hour, an hour before games, uh, putting stuff up on a whiteboard. The usual is a, is a lineup and three points and maybe some X's with a press or something. Uh, you know, and I remember maybe I was a bad athlete, but I remember sitting in those rooms thinking, "This is just killing my mojo in this sterile change room with this bad lighting. I'm not listening to a word the coach is saying because it's just white noise, and we've heard it all before. It's not engaging me." And so I. I struggle to see the value in that. I think it's just like a time-old tradition almost in a lot of ways. I'm sure there are ways that you can do it where it's more engaging, but I'm not convinced it's the best use of your time an hour before the game if you think about how you want to mentally and physically and even spiritually sort of prepare yourself and with each other for that game. So I like to send that stuff out in, whether it's a WhatsApp group or conversations towards the back end of the week and part of the week-long conversation and sort of bypass that moment in time change room thing 
and I've experimented with different things and, and not all of it's worked. So I probably haven't hit hit the sweet spot that I'm comfortable with and maybe it'll be group to group. I just think there's things that we do with the, the traditional game brief that just really don't hold any purpose and, and potentially a detrimental even if it's minimal yeah so what do you do now what does your so your league's actually starting this weekend yeah so what will your kind of timings or prep look like before the first whistle so we train tonight uh we train twice a week train tonight uh we had a quick as I said, we had a live corner session, which is a bit different than what we'd normally do, but it's something we're, we're playing a bit of catch up. And we had a quick chat, mainly about selection and the stress of having so many athletes playing well and doing everything they're asked to do, but they can't all play. So we just keep reiterating that we've been talking about this for a long time, but now it's becoming real, right? So that was a really quick conversation. Um, the girls, our leadership group organised a bit of a social thing, so they went out and you know just caught up. So there's that sort of, I guess it's almost like a ceremony, which I think is quite cool. Uh, our process, our normal weekly processes at the moment are that I will send out the team um, at nine o'clock in the morning on WhatsApp. So it's like a PowerPoint, one one page PowerPoint slide, and then that tomorrow night. Um, or in the afternoon, so they've got some time to chew on it, we'll send out the game brief, uh, which is pretty basic. But there's just, there's just information so they can coordinate themselves, they know where they're playing, what the rotations look like. And then then at the moment, and I'm not, this is probably just because of the time, because we're trying to build understanding of our game plan with eight new players back in and restart and so forth. And we've changed some things because our playing group, it's a different group to harness, right? So we don't have to and can't probably play the way we were practicing early in the year. So what we're doing is where we've got a, a game plan, which is based sort of a model based on the principal stuff that you teach in FAH course. So that sort of model where we've got some basic principles we work under and then we've got some details underneath that. And what we're doing at the moment is based on our sort of probably what we need to highlight which bits the priority first up we're highlighting a couple of those things each weekend and i'm pretty much just doing a q a with them in the change rooms before we go and warm up and only in the change rooms because i don't have a better space at the moment it kills my soul a bit to have to do that but <laughs> yeah having this q a where i you know i say you know when we say get it to the eyes jazz what does that mean and then sort of work as a group to have this sort of workshop on getting clarity or like yeah okay and then what comes from that why do we do it and it's just it's just reiterating and clarifying those two parts of our game plan and the idea is we keep building that over the next month then we're just refreshing and clarifying the whole thing and then we can start probably zeroing in on things that maybe aren't where they need to be and, and having more of a focused um, intent I suppose. So would your dream be then to almost turn up 10 minutes before warm-up, little chat, warm-up play? Is that kind of maybe a bit more social time before? But in terms of if you've done your processes right, the time before the game is minimal? Yeah, yeah. Like I, The other thing I struggle with is, you know, because part of this is the stress footprint and we're, we're talking about amateur to a degree, we're talking about some serious hockey players, but they're not getting paid for it. So they have lives and jobs and families and all these things. And I think 
we're just really inefficient with our time. And I think, and this is a bit of a challenge point where, you know, we might get, the tradition might be to get to the game an hour beforehand and you go in the change room for half an hour and then you've got half an hour to warm up. You do 15 minutes of this, 15 minutes of this, whatever. And, you know, when you have one weekend and, and life's hard, which it is for everyone, it's all relative, right? I, I think it's an hour and not all of it. you obviously got to get to the ground at some point before you play. Um, I, unless you want to be there to watch or you enjoy it, and, and I'm sure some do, but I think some, that's like a half an hour out of their lives that's not necessary because we're being inefficient with what we're doing and we're just following what we've always done. So my, yeah, my utopia, and of course, this is a, the ch- reason it's a challenge is not because I don't believe in it, it's because some people, we're creatures of habit, right? So this is, this is a tough fight with some people because they sort of listen to you and they go, yeah, 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 I 100% butch, I agree with it, I like that. And then they feel uncomfortable about getting to the ground later because it's so, so different and new to them. But my utopia would be that you turn up and start warming up and you, but you're warming up in a way and maybe the warm up is before physical where it is that social cohesion because I think I think if you move into how do we prep for a game well if we know what we're doing and we know what everyone's roles are how it's going to play out before we get there we don't need to go through that because then we don't we, our processes aren't right and we don't trust each other like we're just rehashing stuff to feel good about it and all it's doing is killing our minds for half an hour so then you go okay we need to what's the point of a warm up and you think of what does a warm-up normally look like when you go down to hockey and you've got these regimented sort of um, military, you know, dynamic warm-ups and they're long and we're really thorough with them and so forth. And then probably warm-up on the stick and ball as long as we can. And I think if you look at the standard warm-ups on the balls now, you probably have like a hit-up for a while. Um, then maybe there's some small games you might have the back group just passing around the 25 while they're doing some goal shooting or penalty corners. So there's sort of standard bits that get plugged in around getting ready to go. So we talk about the physical warm-up first. You've got to think that you've got 16 players on that day and they're all individuals and they all need different things. So I would struggle to believe that that sort of regimented approach is going to suit everybody. You know, some people are crazy meticulous. Some people just want to sit down and just breathe. They don't actually like warming up because they feel like they're wasting energy or they just want to, you know, um, have some quiet time. Now, the challenge is how do you get how do you get those 16 individual forms of life and what they really need? You've got to figure out with them what they really need, not just um, I'm lazy, but what do you really need to be prepared? And then you've got to find a way to harness that into the group. Mm. And that's, that's just not people and technical. It's social. It's spiritual it's mental it's like oh and i think with this reductionist approach of physical and technical we just i think we're missing the point yeah so we've just had a question come up from uh john williams actually so we'll we'll get get into that in a sec but uh for me we've had a long chat about what does game day look like for us and we've got some guys which are like i want the I want the structure. I want that kind of, I know I'm going to turn up. I'm going to go in my line. I'm going to follow, follow the guy in front. And like, that's what they want. And there are some guys who are like, I don't want to warm up. I literally want to turn up a little stretch, bit of a knock around and let's play. Yeah. Like, or they like the knock, they like the stick and ball stuff before game. But actually the thought of 
following the guy in front. So we're we're actually going to play around with you guys. You've got 10, 12 minutes for physical warm-up. Do it on. If a few of you want to go and... Um, yeah. You know, go in lines and keep it really, really regimented. Fine. If a couple of you guys want to just do your own thing and go off and do whatever, that's also fine because we'll come together at some point. Um, I think everyone's happy and everyone understands why and what you're doing because the, the risk is that some people get annoyed because they think people aren't switched on and they need them. And but I think if you get buy-in and you sell that vision, and they understand what you're doing. Like, like. It's not going to have an impact. The only impact's going to have if people get annoyed with it. Mm. But if everyone understands what you're doing and they're free to do what they need to do, the only other challenge is making sure that you're getting that cohesion, so that social connection, because that's a really important thing that some of the physical warm-ups actually do because the, the smart ones are doing dynamic stuff and high-fiving and they're interacting and there is a bit of... They're, they're building that, the, the smart versions of that, but it doesn't necessarily cater for individuals in a way that's fits them really well sometimes yeah and i've sort of they're forced to be a part of it and do it yeah because i've been in team you know been in teams and had teams a part of it where they've not wanted music you know i love music it's you know part of my soul i like i want music on 24 7 if i could but other people are like no 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 like i need quiet i need my own space like can't you know, don't want people like jumping around and being all excitable and things like that. So I think also what what we're also thinking is this is going to give them that little bit of space where if they want to have their quiet time and chill, you know, they don't want to come out of the change room straight away. They want a minute or two just to like decompress and then head out. You can have your time. So we're gonna we're gonna be a bit more experimental with what we're doing for sure. I like that word. Uh, and in the end, if you, if you sell it and you and you get buy-in and they're part of uh, that experiment, if, if you like, then it will have to be compromises because you're a team. So yeah, yeah. You, you know, free for all. You still need to come together. You still need to work together. But and it'll never be. It's not. You couldn't say, well, what's the solution? Because there isn't. There's one. There's maybe one for every team. But it's like, how do you? It's the art of how do you get to that place together and make it work somehow. Yeah. Um, so John's question, uh, let me just bring that up here. He's got two questions. So, uh, first one is, what do you mean exactly by game brief? So we'll do that one first, then we'll come on to the second one, which I think is quite interesting. Yeah. I was actually having a chat with one of the, the black sticks girls tonight at training and I used some term, can't remember what it was. And I, I often get caught cause I've, I'm, as, as I said, I've been a bit of a gypsy, worked all over the place and moved around and that's part of all the great experiences. But the problem is I've formed my own language, which is a sort of hybrid merged version of a number of different international programs and countries and probably my own things that I've made up. So, <laughs> yeah, sometimes I've got to be check myself that I assume that everyone knows what the hell I'm talking about sometimes. Um, so Game Brief is, is sort of the game preparation meeting you know the one whether it's a powerpoint and you're showing the lineup and maybe some focus points um what your rotations or subs might be uh, not sometimes has attacking penalty corner hierarchies and what corner variations you're going to use it's, it's sort of like the game planning logistics info so that everyone knows you know how who's doing what and how it's all going to be pieced together which then sometimes ties into you know you, you see you get a quote at the the last page that's always that's always useful stuff like that um so bits and pieces like that so it's 
it's the game preparation, planning, logistics meeting that traditionally happens right before a game. Yeah. That would be my game brief. Uh, yeah, it's kind of the detail, isn't it, that underpins the style and like how you're going to pick up on certain areas or highlight points, really. So, um, and then the second question, and I'll bring this up: um, if a player is already aware they're not starting, wouldn't that be demotivating? And maybe the warming up is then taken to be more relaxed. Um, I'm going to let you start. This is something I've done for a couple of years now in terms of messaging on the Friday night before the before the game so then they can sleep on it and go into it the next day. But, yeah, keen to hear kind of your thoughts on, on putting a line-up out early. It's a great question without the sort of context of how that plays out because those, those are little traps, right? So there's a couple of things. Out. The first one is um, sometimes starting lineups. Uh, are your best team because of how rotations work and trying to fit the most minutes or the balanced minutes into your group. But generally for me, they're not. They're about balance. You know, you look at a lot of stats that I looked at with teams that I've had in the past or just planning stuff before you take over a team. It's the middle parts of quarters where you get exposed, which means that your rotation plan basically has your five weaker players all on together. And so then often you also don't have penalty corner, um, like I guess, people uh, or capacity. So I, I try and mix it up. It's probably not a major issue with the current group I'm coaching, but I don't I don't see starting lineup as that's our best 11. And then that's about culture and understanding. And it'll still, for some, might be tough to swallow because they've been brought up that way. But I don't, I don't see it that way and I don't talk about it that way. And generally, the rotations with the teams that I have probably for a long time, even when there is maybe some imbalance from your top players to your bottom players. Like, I think you've got to share the load. Like, if you want to be a really good team, you've got to find a way to develop all of your players and you've got to share the load because, you know, when you look at the minutes and people trying to concentrate and play well and um, do everything in their powers at the speed of the game, uh, you know, six or eight-minute blocks, whatever it is, Clearly, if you share the load, then you're going to run home better than the opposition. And then in tournament play, and I know this from experience, if you get it right, you're going to hit finals in better health and nick than everybody else as well. Now, that's challenging in different teams and so forth you have. But I would argue that the only way people develop and get better for the good of the depth of the group is is to play. Mm. Um, so there's a you know there's an education piece there and a cultural piece, and maybe just got to reiterating, but. Yeah, that's, that's sort of not how I do it, but it's certainly something to be aware of. The other way you could do it is just name the 18 and you could you could leave out some of that information. That makes it hard, though, because then you have to have a game brief because you can't give rotations and you can't give the sort of information. So I think you just got to develop your group so they can handle it if you think that's a way to go. Because yeah. clearly, you know, we have a thing called blue line players, which is not a not my term, came from one of the, one of the things I was involved in, where we sometimes have a player that's not in the rotations and their job is to be ready to plug in if we get an injury and that way we can basically just shift two names around in the rotation line and not have to change the balance of how we're sharing that load. Yeah. So if you get that on a Thursday night, you know you're not, you basically might not play. Yeah, okay. So so you've got to, I guess it's about your culture and explaining and educating. 
everything's a trade-off. Definitely a threat for sure that people have a chance to stew on it or be annoyed or not be mentally ready to play. Mm. I think in a good in culture though that's trying to compete and be successful, then it, they've got to learn to get through that because they've got no chance of playing in the week after if they sulk and don't carry themselves well. And stuff. Yeah, you know, massive. That's what the performing culture is being able to deal with those things and do your job basically for the betterment of the team. Yeah, and I think for me, the one thing it's done is it's kind of given um, it's one less thing to think about on match day as well. Like, it's one less thing you need to think about. Like, you don't need to think about am I starting, am I not starting? Like, that stressor is gone. Um, and then yeah, people Anxiety, just... right? Yeah. yeah, like, people just know, okay, cool, I'm starting, okay, cool, I'm not. Um, and my other thing is I don't take i i hate when players sit on the bench for experience like that's just not the way i roll and for me i think if you're if you're going to rock up and you're going to put a shot on and you're going to be on my team you're going to play and so i think the guys know that if they're playing for me they're getting minutes and so there's not that okay well you know you could be 14 coming into the first team if you're playing in the first team you're getting minutes because you're good enough to be there I'd rather you played four minutes in the twos than played five minutes in the ones. Um, train with the ones week in, week out, like two sessions a week, whatever. And then when you're ready to step up and play, you play. Um, and I think that helps the guys knowing that, okay, well, even if I'm not starting, it's not going to affect my minutes. I'm still going to get as many and sometimes even more minutes from starting off the bench anyway. So, yeah, for me, it's yeah. just... Yeah, they know rotations in into especially quarters now how do you break those minutes up so it's not disruptive and so forth like that's an art in itself which is which is challenging um you know and, and even if you are playing people for small minutes because you want to expose them and sort of tease them into there but they are playing like the other thing about the thursday friday stuff is they've got two days and if you build your culture where um you know they they can either approach you or the leadership group or others and you're trying to get subgroups to talk about the things that we've been working on and what they're worried about. And so if, if you can build that, and that's that's probably a, a work in progress for me to sort of guide that with this current group, but they, they do it informally and so forth. Like they're great with that stuff, but to try and structure it. So here's the information, this is what we've done all week. Okay, you guys need to piece it together. And maybe part of before the game is that they bring up stuff that they're, they're not sure of or that they think we really need to highlight and, and then you give that back to them from that Thursday process. So I think there's opportunities with the window of time you give them from the information to the game to really grow the group inside. Yeah, definitely. And I, I also break it down into two parts. So we train Tuesday, Thursday. Selection goes out Tuesday night post-training. So we'll have a chat in the bar afterwards with staff selection will go out who's playing for the ones at the weekend at that point and then yeah. once we've seen them on thursday and had, a, had another chat friday uh, starting lineup will go out with a few other game day notes so then like i say it keeps then they understand the timings of things so the guys that need the consistency get it and the other guys are a little bit more free flow like okay cool turns up whenever <laughs> um so i think that that helps as well um give that consistency and how stuff's done um, yeah you've got it's you talked before about routine people need routine and they sort of do is it's a really interesting balance the whole routine thing because routine can turn us into zombies because we just go through the motions and we work on autopilot but and you know a bit of chaos and disruption can actually keep people you know on on alert 
person awake and engaged. It's just getting the balance and how to do it and when to do it so that your whole world's not chaos. Um, but it's also not this regimented routine where we're all sort of sleepwalking through it. Um, that's a really interesting space, I reckon. I've got another question here. Uh, in general, what kind of information do you want to give the team at half time or quarter time? Um, they say coaches, uh, for me for short, struggle to chat for a whole seven minutes of half time. How do you manage that time effectively? So, that's, yeah, it's yeah. a great question. Quarter times become an interesting, interesting space, and in line with what I spoke about before, we think as coaches we have to have an impact and we have to have input to be doing our job. I think quarter times are a real trap because essentially, even if you're organised and you've got people bringing water on, people get off quickly, you've probably got 90 seconds max, and then you're probably pushing it with that. And you've got to be really careful to start talking and opening up conversations because it can go off and not get finished and just get messy. So, you know, having collaboration and group input is is challenging and can go wrong. I think you've got to have a mechanism where things can be brought up quickly if the group's stressing about something and they need an answer and, and you haven't seen it and been providing it. So there needs to be an avenue for that. But I don't think asking the group how you're feeling, I think those open-ended sort of question stuff is, is just messy. And, and I even think, you know, we, we have this rule about three points, the rule of three and so forth. I, for me, at, at most, it would be two, and even then I get annoyed with myself because it, it should be one or almost none. And generally the one for me is not information. I'm trying to deal with that if I think I have to while the court is going on, nudging them and trying to get them to solve it. For me, it's just about how we're feeling. And so that's how I carry myself again and my tone and my presence and the message, that one message Generally, if I'm switched on and things are where they need to be in terms of the whole day, it's just, we're going okay, stay composed, the intent's good, we just need to keep persevering and not get frustrated. And you get the, you get the sort of feedback and, and yep, yep, we get it, okay, we're okay, just keep persevering, you know, we've got three more quarters, just keep chipping away, nothing needs to change, we just keep doing it. And so the tone there is like, okay, we're okay, be calm. Maybe you need to raise your voice and say, guys, we're not chasing our defensive, individual defensive responsibility stuff is not good enough. You know what that means. In particular, this and this. Okay, so you've got to fix that quickly because that's not how we, that's not going to get the job done. That's it. So it's not high level stuff. It's just part of who you are and your culture and things that you, that you focus on. It's who you are and how you do things, right? But it's tone. How do they need to feel? Okay, we've, we've been tardy. Yep. There's a little bit of raised voice, butchers, butchers saying we need to wake up a bit and do it. Or we're going really well, don't get frustrated, you know. So it's all about tone in in line with the sentence. And I don't always get that perfect because I'm human and I'm an idiot sometimes, but that's in a, well, that's that's me. It's one line and it's about how we're feeling and how we maybe need to just adjust um, how we're carrying ourselves in terms of our intent and our effort. And, you know, half half time for me, sometimes subgroup stuff can work, but then the, the subgroups, do they bring it back together? We're all on the same page. We do that. They're really valuable. But I struggle as whether we're actually getting all the messages together. It takes too long. You know, in a perfect world, you'd have subgroups with some prodding around. I need you to have a chat about this. Then they get their own chats and then they feed it back to the group or maybe to the coach and feed it back, but not packaging that and aligning it 
after that period, I think, is problematic. Mm. It's just talking, and it can be divisive. So I, I, I've wrestled with that for a long time because it's a great process, but I'm not sure in that time frame you can package it properly. Yeah, so I've so played I, around with that, uh, and having I'm fortunate that the team that I'm in, well, I've got two really, really good assistant coaches. So we'll have three subgroups, and we'll head up one each, and we'll have a little chat about three, four minutes before half time. Okay, you're going to grab the forwards, you're going to grab the midfield, and I'll grab the defenders or something like that. And like, okay, can you just poke them on this line? And like, can you check Dave's okay or whatever? And then when they come in, it's that once they've had their subgroup, well, we give them a minute or two just to like decompress. So in answer to the question, how do you fill the time? Give them a minute. You don't have to come off the bench and smash them straight away with info. Like, let them come up, let them take some sweets or a snack or fluid whatever decompress then into their subgroups and then maybe i'll say one or two things to cap it off and then we go again and i think that's that's what i found to be most effective again unfortunately i've got two guys who i trust implicitly like whatever yeah, they they're there right that's the solution it's it's give it's prompt them to the things that you want them to solve or to to get a feel for whether they they're on top of it um, and then trying to bring it back together. The, the only problem with that is you might be missing things because for me, there are things that you see that sometimes need to be solved and I'm disappointed if we're not fixing them in the 15 minutes. So that is a chance to have a nav check and a reset, recalibrate, but yeah, I'm disappointed when it gets to that. And if it gets to that for me, I think they just need to be told because we don't have time to have a have a workshop over it. So when it gets... I, I, the collaboration is in real time while the game's happening. That's the skill that I want um, our team to evolve with, being able to do that in real time. And that's hard, right? And then if it's not right, then I don't think we have time to collaborate like that. I think they just need to be told. But then if you go back to the, you know, getting them to discuss and sort of work through things together, that's different than me knowing there's a problem and going, all right, you've had your chance, you haven't fixed it, this is what it is. That is them actually um, communicating together what's happening on the field and how they're feeling about stuff and stuff that they're, they're threatened by or worried about. Now, I might act, not actually know any of that stuff because I'm not out on the field. It might yeah. feel completely different. So that's a whole whole different space of information that you're trying to get out of it. So I think that's a really, really cool thing to do. I guess you've got to decide. It's like the needs-based coaching thing. You've got to decide what's required, you know, um, do they need to be told because they haven't solved it? Um, is this is because everything's going really well? Is this a chance for them to just share what they're feeling and for them to own um, whatever the information is and to come together with it? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I chop and change all the time. I don't have a right answer, and maybe that is my answer. <laughs> I think I think you just got to be wary of the pros and cons. And the biggest mistake for me is is allowing lots of conversations that just create more confusion and mess. You're better off you're better off just letting them decompress, as you say, which I think is a really important point you make, and just keeping things really clear and clean, which sometimes means only one person is talking. Mm. And I think the other thing is don't be afraid to... So I've, I'll try two or three different things, you know, just in pre-season. Like, I'll, we'll mess around with things... We'll get the whiteboards out. We'll maybe have some iPad video. Like we'll mess around with like so many different ways. Just again, it keeps it fresh and interesting as well. Like I say, it's not that kind of zombie mentality 
of okay well i'm just going to say this and we'll move through i think the other thing is don't be afraid particularly if it's cold wet or like if they if you can see like they're not really taking on information don't be afraid to just chuck a ball and let them have a knock around on the field like maybe that's what they need like they don't want to listen they just want to go do so give them a ball get on the field what's the time what's the purpose of it right yeah the main purpose is to is to have a break and recharge and so we don't necessarily need to stuff anything into it except that okay we need to stay warm or right, maybe we just need to be together and it's like so we're getting that feeling like it's us and then we can go back out together so there's maybe just ways of you know emphasizing or um designing things where they're just regrouping mm. you know right and it gets back to the same thing around coaches feeling like they have to have input and they have to you know sometimes you don't have to do anything um and and that goes for quarter time especially I remember I was coaching um, a Western Australian under 21 men's team, and we we sort of discussed this um, as like, what do you get out of quarter time? We had lots of conversations around trying to. It's a bit of an education piece that I tried to do with them, and them trying to get a real feel for what's valuable with coaching. So we sort of unpack training when coaches talk too much when you do drills like this, and we try to just get rid of everything that was wasteful or they didn't enjoy, and really use that as a education piece for all of us for doing it better and we talked about quarter time that it's just too hard like people don't take stuff in they just need to take a breath we need to get the right tone and feel so we can go again like it's just a moment mm. and so we started we started mucking around with this i can't remember the beat but it's, it's basically a navy seals or a, um, a military breathing technique i think it was four 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 or four two four and we would just do it together we get in a tight huddle and i'd go okay boys Four, breathe in, hold, okay, let it out. And it would be sort of almost like a breathing meditation thing for 90 seconds. We didn't talk about anything about hockey. We would just calm ourselves down. And we didn't do it all the time, but we did it when we were going well and it's intense. It's like, okay, this is this is quarter time because it's a break. So let's just let it all out and get ready to go again. We're all here together. We're connected because we're breathing together. We can all feel that rhythm together. All right, we're good boys. Let's, let's go back to battle. Mm. And that was pretty cool. Um, so I've got last couple of questions. These are on Instagram. Um, so if you were to highlight one thing uh, that you focus on during the game from a, an actual game point of view, so is it are you focusing on press? Are you focusing on outlet? Are you focusing on the oppo, on your team, technical? aspects like what would you say is like your one key thing that you're you kind of focus on when you're observing the game and you're in the moment uh, I, I don't think there is one because i'm looking for whatever we need to at any given time so mm -hmm. uh, there isn't there isn't a thing uh, it, it is wherever we're at in our timeline of what we're trying to develop and you know what either maybe something that's obstructing us or so forth but i think if you're looking if i if i'm trying to picture how I try and see the game as a general starting point. I'm, I'm looking at transition. I'm looking at what we're doing when we win the ball back and when we turn the ball over. Now, I'm really, I have really clear principles in my mind around how you manage transition both ways. And so there, there's expectations that um, around discipline and habits and selflessness that are really important to me around how we play which protect you and also give you better opportunities to have good offense. So that's always front of mind, even if it's just a starting point 
to make sure that we're on page with that. And then probably when things get messy, that's probably the first thing I look at as well. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, it could be a range of things. Um, Transition is a good one because that covers so much of the game. And it's actually something which, you know, I think people don't necessarily spend that much time focusing on. So I think transition is something which I think at a higher end people really switch on about. Whereas I think uh, lower end, I think people concentrate on um, the before and the after or the offense and defense, but not that bit in the middle, which is which makes or breaks games. Well, it's press via outlet, isn't it? And I, I don't, you know, what are we talking 20, 30 times each that happens a game, whereas depending on the game, uh, turnovers could be, you know, 80 to 100 each, you know, so the, and where we generally are organised, you need to know what your pressing structure is and how you want to outlet, but I think we make it too regimented. We draw it on the board like it's never like that. You've got to work in concepts and principles and and teach the different details around how to make it work. But the the game is the game is what happens in between. It's the it's the transitions, it's the moments because you're not organized and it's never the same. Mm. And so having clarity around how you deal with that and what's expected so that you can get it done in that chaos. If you're really good at that, uh, to me that's the game. Because everything flows from either doing that well or not doing it well. Um. And then last question on here, um, and this is from a player perspective, so not so not a coaching perspective. Uh, tips on getting into the right mindset on game day, even if others, even if the rest others in your team are not. So if they're more kind of I guess jovial, a bit more like uh, free spirit kind of guys, so they're like they don't seem as if they're right in the, in the right mindset, and you want to get in that groove like how tips on like helping that yeah it's a, it's a tough one i think i think if the environment you're in is disruptive for how you need to prepare then whether you're comfortable enough talking to the leadership group or the team or the coach you, you have to get to a point where that's understood mm-hmm. um because that's part of how you harness an environment for all individuals to get what they need with their preparation there might be some compromises either way, but you're not going to get that changed unless you're willing to have those conversations and, and work through it. And hopefully your culture is strong enough to be able to support and deal with that. And then even if it's not perfect for you, there will be compromises. And then you've got to find your own solutions to get what you need. The first one is understanding what you like and what you think you need. And then you've got to find a way to create your own, your own environment for that within the environment of the team. Um, so that, you know, the challenge of, that type of warm up to support each individual and then to be able to harness all of that into one is challenging um, from a coaching perspective, but it relies on the players to know what they need and also be aware of what each other needs and try and work that out together because the coach can't harness it even with a good plan and good knowledge of what it all is unless players have buy-in and are actually working together and trying to help each other um, create each other's environments to warm up in. So it's, it's a, a complicated but interesting piece but it relies on play as much as it does coaches i reckon yeah definitely mate that what we hour and five minutes in has absolutely flown by um mate there's some really good gems in there and i think there's a lot of stuff in there where i hope it really challenges 
coaches and players. Um, I really hope that some of the stuff that you brought up kind of challenges coaches on um, how they do things. Um, are they just doing it because that's kind of the way it's always been done? And I hate that phrase. Like that's one of my least favorite phrases um, because I think that then sits into laziness. Um, in my opinion, I think if you go, like, oh, well, we've always done it this way. That means you, you haven't got the, I don't know, you haven't got the spuds to go and be your own man and kind of change things a little bit. And I think some things you can't change, but I think there are some things where why not just be creative and get outside the comfort zone a little bit. And there could, the grass could be greener. Might not be, could be. Yeah. And that's, and I think the bit like, uh, I'm probably going to have time to explain why, but I've been lucky where I've been in environments and then in, and then moved into other spaces where I've used that to be not just curious um, and wanting to find better ways of doing things, but early days forced to try and do that, you know? So you, you, you start to be, try and be quite innovative and creative about what you're doing because you maybe don't have what everyone else has. And that, that constraint allows you to be really free with that creativity um, and that innovation. And what I've sort of learned over the journey is when you when you unpack everything and don't just assume that that is the best way of doing it, there's lots of things that you can find. Um, and every team individual have a best model for them, which is, so there's no average, there's no one way. So you, you've got to try and find that for yourself and your group. But I think the key message is that I think you've got to be brave enough and curious enough to to look at things really clearly and unpack them and not just swallow that that's the best way of doing stuff. And if you then figure out, okay, maybe that's not the best way of doing it, then then be brave enough to try things, you know, and fail and try and figure it out so you can find a better way. Yeah. And there's no, I don't think there's an age on that either. I think you can be a young coach and challenge the system. I think you can be older and challenge it like, yeah, young coaches the system getting into trouble, mate. That's probably my last tip. But yeah, that's true. <laughs> There's a, you can push the you can push the button though. You can just kind of nudge it a little bit and be, like, are we doing this right? And I think that's, I think that's healthy. Yeah, um, mate. We're gonna finish it there. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I can't wait to to catch up with you again. And yeah, stay safe. Good luck this weekend, buddy. My privilege, mate, and thank you. Um, look forward to speaking to you soon, mate. Yeah, definitely. Cheers. Take care, buddy. See you later.